All right, good morning. It's weird to say good morning after I've actually already been saying things to you, and it's like I feel like I said it late, but thank you for understanding. Um, so anytime you see at the beginning of a psalm uh, the, the kind of letters in italics, not the, the one in bold in italics that are at the, the very top, but the ones that are just above verse 1, if it has a title on there that's not counted in the verses, but it is absolutely part of Scripture, and this one... Some, you know, some give you know, the author, some give the topic or the theme or what have you. This one says it's a psalm and a song for the Sabbath. And so if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that book four of uh, the, the book of Psalms as a whole is really themed around this idea of, of maturity and of wisdom. And this psalm follows two psalms that are, are, are meant to be paired to each, with each other and are about like wisdom and refuge. And so it just kind of makes sense, right, that Right after talking about refuge and wisdom, we would go straight into Sabbath rest. Because what is, more, uh, what is a greater refuge than Sabbath rest? The command, and I, I mentioned this at the, at the very beginning in the call to worship, the command to keep the Sabbath is actually a command. Like it's one of the Ten Commandments in Scripture. It's the fourth specifically and all of them are gifts, but the fourth commandment is, is kind of unique. This idea of Sabbath, God seems to, to, to give a lot more detail. It's the longest part of, uh, the longest of the Ten Commandments. It's the most detailed by far. It's almost as if God knows that it, is, it, is, it sounds almost like such a too-good-to-be-true gift that he needed to say some form or another of the you know, ancient Hebrew, no, really, guys. <laughs> It really is. This is it's the one commandment that is not, uh, is not true or especially needed uh, as a result of the fall. Right? It's something that was rooted in creation. And that's, that's pretty unique and special. Um, in fact, let me, let me go ahead and read where it's, it, is, it is first articulated in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. This is God speaking to the people of Israel. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And when it says holy, that just, it, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of religious-sounding word that, that means set apart, to keep distinct from, as, if, as it is unique from everything else, right? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. By the way, in verse 2, he says, he starts as a preamble in, in Exodus 20, that like, okay, here are the Ten Commandments, but don't forget who I am. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. So this is, this is referencing that even in the language where just a few verses later when it says, this day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your apps, sorry, that's not in there, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Special, unique, set apart, right? But even then, and if you've heard me talk about Sabbath at all, you know that, that, that our relationship with the Sabbath day and with our keeping the command to Sabbath is, shall we say, iffy at best. I think um, Andy Crouch actually says it as, as, bad as, as good as anyone I've heard. It. He says, a Sabbathless life ends up with neither true work nor true rest, but with frantic and ineffective activity punctuated by couch potato lethargy. Now, 
to be fair and honest, as a dad of two kids, one of whom is eight and a half months old, couch potato lethargy sounds pretty great. It's like, that's something to aspire to on most days. Um, but this is talking about something on a deeper level, on a soul level, a not needing to strive, a deeper rest than just the physical aspect of it, but it's very much related. And so Psalm 92 is, okay, if, if Sabbath is a refuge, if, it is, if this is the means by which the, God's people get together to experience his refuge, then, then why is it wise too? And so this is kind of unpacking the wisdom and refuge, uh, Psalms 90 and 91. So, so let's, let's, let's jump into the first four verses um, to see how Psalm 92 gives this beautiful expression of the difference that Sabbath makes. Psalms one through, or verses 1 through 4 are, are, are describing restful worship. Restful worship. Let me read it uh, to refresh our memory. It says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Right, it's just, just to kind of walk through this. Verse 1 is, is saying that, that the Sabbath is to God, and yes, for us, but it is to God, not for God, and to us. Right, that, that distinction is really important. This is, Sabbath is a worship. Worship is an element that is given to God. It is not, in, it's not ultimately for us, though we do benefit and flourish from it. Right, verse 2 is, is, is describing that this isn't just an event that you do on Sunday morning, it's actually a day and night posture. In other words, 24 hours. Verse 3 describes the creative expression in community that happens for it. These are all instruments that, like, yes, you can, you'll practice on your own, but they're not really, they're not played. You, can't, you don't really worship these with these instruments unless you're doing it with other people. It's the whole point of learning music is the communal side of it. And then verse 4, though, is really clutch because it's not just talking about and describing what is Sabbath. It's also giving us the why. And the why that we can rest, the reason why we can rest and give thanks to the Lord is because he has made us glad by his work. At the works of his hands, I sing for joy. It is a seizing from our work because of God's work. It is grace through and through. Sabbath is not something we earn. It's not something that we do for ourselves. It is, it is something that God has done for us. In other words, great rest is graciously made possible because of another's works. I'm going to shorthand that and just say, describe it as hospitality, right? right? If you, it, Bryce was talking about community groups earlier. If you've met with your community, how many of you have already, your, your community group has gotten together for the first time already? Sweet, okay, it looks like a couple of them. Um, our leaders, our community group leaders of the Dunlaps, they had us over with a bunch of people in their house uh, just yesterday on sun Saturday. They had a charcuterie board. Actually, it's like two or three charcuterie boards. There's, like, there's a lot there, including a, 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 a goat cheese that I don't remember that, how to pronounce the name, never mind how to spell it. Um, it was awesome. It was great to just like sit and be. And it was made more awesome because of the space that they had created in setting the table, the work that they had done. Now, I'm not saying that Rocky and Maria Dunlap are God. 
their hospitality is divine, don't get me wrong. It's really amazing. But what I'm trying to describe here is how Sabbath is, is this intersection between, yes, rest, but it's also appreciation at the same time. You're not enjoying someone's hospitality, right, unless you are also experiencing it and appreciating it. And so Sabbath then is not just seizing from our work. It's not just hitting the pause button. It's the specific rest that is made possible by God's hospitality, right? You can stop cooking in order to enjoy dinner, but that's, are you enjoying hospitality or are you just like feeding yourself, right? But it's not as restful as going to another's home to enjoy the dinner that they cooked. And especially if you've been cooking for six days straight, that meal is particularly all the more appreciated. And what is worship if not both the experience and appreciation of God's hospitality? Right? It's the experience and the appreciation of God's hospitality. Right? One of the reasons why I think we don't as American 21st century Christians one of the reasons why we struggle with Sabbath in the way that I, I quoted Andy Crouch earlier is that we have separated worship from rest as if these are two kind of fundamentally different things. And when we don't understand how inseparable they are, we end up experiencing neither one. Right? Without worship, rest is, is just dependent on your work instead of God's. And it becomes defined by you. We're not saying it's good to give thanks to the Lord based on God's definition of good, but ours. And so we have other priorities, priorities sneak in. And we actually end up worshiping ourselves. Without rest, in the, in the inverse, right? If Without rest, worship becomes just another thing to do. And it's a good thing to do, don't get me wrong, right? But it's, it's just, it becomes just one, we relegate it to being one of many tyrannies on a to-do list. And therefore, a low priority, not set apart from, distinct, unique, and holy in comparison to everything else on that list or the list itself. And so what verses 1 through 4 in a nutshell are saying is that Sabbath is an experience and appreciation of God's hospitality. It is, it is restful worship. It is a get-to-celebrate restful response to God setting the table with his steadfast love and kindness not a can't even any more break from striving to stay above water or, you know, maybe not just a straw breaking the camel's back, but a two-by-four breaking the camel's back, right? <sighs> Frankly, if we just understood this and, like, injected verses one through four into our veins, it would be amazing, and it would be transformative. But at the risk of paraphrasing infomercials, wait, there's more. <laughs> There's some really amazing stuff in here that we, I think, especially as 21st century modern people, we're like, oh, they didn't really worry about the things that we did, that we do. We, they don't stress about the same thing. They have different worries and concerns. And let me tell you how, how wrong we are in that. Because verses 5 through 9 set this, this, this paint this picture of, of Sabbath as rest from striving also. Let me reread these verses because these don't sound terribly related to Sabbath, but trust me, we'll get there. The psalmist says, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man, by the way, maybe stupid is not a great translation there. It literally would be translated as dull or maybe boring. Like it's not measuring intelligence like the way that we use the word stupid. It's actually saying it's dull. The dull man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass... 
and all evildoers flourish. They are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. To quote Anchorman, that escalated fast. Right? How, how in the world is that re- related to, to Sabbath? Well, let me, let me just kind of like paraphrase and, and, and describe what's, what's happening here. What the psalmist is saying is that intentional, deep like contemplation and awe of God and his works, right? Because verse five is, is continuing from verses one through four. It is like thinking about God and like tasting and seeing that he is good is so satisfying and so good that all previous striving, all competing with or all stressing out over the success or flourishing of others, not like anybody here compare, like struggles with comparison at all. And especially those who we like don't like, don't like or we consider an enemy, like when they're flourishing, oh, it's so much worse when things are hard for you, right? That's actually dull and boring. It's foolish. It's unwise. Because comparison to others can't compete with contemplating God. It's not saying that, you know, our enemies or, or this dynamic is going to go away or that keeping the Sabbath is, is going to help you win or outflourish those you deem as evildoers. In fact, it actually assumes that the, weak, the wicked and the evildoers are going to keep flourishing more than the righteous. It's like, nah, that's not why we're doing this. What it's saying is that Sabbath keepers, the people of God, define flourishing differently and eternally. And there's a better flourishing than the one that's being, that, you, that we see. And we need to be reminded of that. Right? Let me, let me explain it this way. Right? I, th- I think if you asked, if I asked most people, like, what is Sabbath or what is rest? I think most people would say some form or another of, um, you know, it's, it's not working or it's having fun. Regardless, I think what everybody would agree with is that the modern uh, person sees the Sabbath as a rest from effort. It's a rest from effort. Like, we don't want to have to work or put effort into things. That's, that's what Sabbath is about, right? Well, I'm just going to quote Andy Crouch again, actually, because um, it's, if you don't like what he says, then you can be mad at him instead of me. Um, he says, It is extraordinary how few Christians make any concerted effort to keep the commandment of Sabbath rest. We have somehow twisted Jesus' pithy rebuke of the Pharisees that, quote, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath, from a warning against legalism into a license for neglect. We seem to forget that in the very next breath, Jesus asserts, so the, man, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, thus asserting his lordship over, not exemption from or indifference to, this very good gift from God to his image bearers. What, what Andy Christ is describing there is that, that we have, like, the, th- this is the American Stockholm Syndrome. By, by, by just uncritically imbibing and remembering far more often and feasting on the, the gospel that the more effective you are in life, the more successful you are, the more you achieve, the more money you make, the more Instagram-worthy your family or marriage is. By the way, ain't nobody's ins- uh, family or, or marriage Instagram-worthy. The, but the more that we can do that, the better then we can rest. Then, then we can be at peace and have contentment. I'd like to propose something slightly different than Sabbath as rest from effort. 
Dallas Willard said that grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. So a Christian view of the Sabbath, a biblical view of the Sabbath is, is not rest from effort, but rest from striving. And I define rest like striving as a lot of effort and a lot of earning put together. That's what striving is. It's, it's trying to get that carrot on the stick, no matter how far away it is, and it's not realizing you're never actually going to catch it. That's what striving is. Sabbath is a rest from striving. But the Sabbath requires a very focused effort. It actually does. It requires us to put the effort into not striving. And to put the effort into not striving means receiving God's hospitality. You see how full circle this is? Striving is basically practically defines the American flavor of verses, verse 6's uh, reference to fools, right? We have this, we have this attitude that it is, just, it, is, it is absolutely outrageous to us that someone is getting ahead. We don't know who that might be. It's just somebody, that anybody is getting ahead who hasn't earned it or deserved it. While we, or maybe it's not us because we're humble, right? We're actually more worried about other people who, who deserve to get ahead and to, to, to be successful. They're getting left behind, right? We believe this so much as kind of the American gospel that... To be rich, we just assume that the only way you have, you have gained wealth is because you have done something evil, that you are wicked. It may or may not be the case. It's not actually that relevant. But we must strive then to right this injustice. So the Psalm 92 is saying to this attitude, to this American gospel, boring. It's just boring. The psalmist is saying, are you kidding me? Why would we spend any time thinking about that when we could contemplate the depths of Yahweh? When we can taste and see that he is good and feast on his grace, that like that God, the creator, who made everything, and then when we said, yeah, not good enough, we want to be our own gods, that God who says, okay, fine, I'll die for you now too, that God rested because he cared so much for us, made in his image, that we would know that we were made for rest. Does God need to rest? He's God. He's omnipotent. No, of course not. He wants to, us to see that rest is good. And because God is good, rest has to be good. And that we, need, we have to put the effort into prioritizing it. Otherwise, we won't see it or taste it as good. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying what there, where there is you know, some kind of an injustice where people are de- who are deserving are not being supported. Like I am not saying don't put effort into that. I'm saying make sure that that effort is tempered with a trust in that God is faithful enough that you can actually come into church, into worship, and, call, and allow that trust to calm the striving in your heart. And that that striving would filter into the other six days of the week so that you are not compromised by earning and striving, but are actually freed because God has already earned it, your rest for you. The root of striving and earning, right, it is, is this, it is that we forget that we're not God. We strive because we forget we're not God. And frankly, it's understandable that that might be hard to remember because we have all of these um, liturgical furniture pieces and, and tools that are godlike in their ability to access information, to communicate to somebody like ex nihilo out of the blue, right? Like, 
the world we, that we have set up as image bearers, we, we want to be like God instead of rest in the fact that we are made in His image. This is why, by the way, the, the, the first four commandments are all about not worshiping anything or anyone as God except God, including this one, right? The first is like basically, I'm gonna, this is Brad's uh, inspired version. Um, first command is basically, okay, don't worship other gods. Second command is don't worship creation as gods. Third commandment is don't take God so lightly that you don't appreciate or worship him. Um, and the fourth commandment is don't forget that you're a creature, not the creator, that you were created, not the creator. I know that doesn't sound good, like good news to Americans, but I promise you it is. Like this is, you know, full disclosure, if you were an Enneagram person, I'm an Enneagram three. Like this is the hardest thing in the world for me to actually believe is true, or never mind understand. Because you can always do something. You can always keep achieving. <laughs> Let me tell you how well that's worked out for me, which is not at all. Okay, Let me go, let's, let's talk about verses 10 through 15, and then we'll jump in the Q&A. So if you have a, any questions, definitely text those in to the number on the screen. But the good news, and this is part of what helps me as an Enneagram 3, is that the psalmist tells us that there is, that this is, the Sabbath is fruitful rest as well. The Sabbath is fruitful rest. Let me read, read verses 10 through 15. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. It's a really weird way of saying, like, you have blessed me. I feel like I am flourishing, right? You have poured over me fresh oil. I am renewed, basically. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. There are some beautiful connections between this psalm and the very first psalm in Psalm 1. And it's very common practice in the psalms to kind of contrast both the, the posture and the experience of the wicked versus the righteous. And so take a look just even within this psalm how the psalmist does it. Right, in verse 7, which we read earlier, it says that like, the wicked, they, they quickly sprout, right? which, by the way, that word sprout is the word we translate as flourish, but it's, it's, it's a, a form that is, is, communicates speed. It happens quickly, like grass or weeds or, again, with the Brad-inspired version, dandelions, because they are the worst organism on earth. They, they did not exist before the fall, Okay. Brad-inspired version. Um, the wicked don't last. They are scattered. It's not a lasting fruit. Contrast that with the righteous in verse 12. They flourish like palms and cedars. That means they're slow-growing, but they're tall and straight. They bear fruit with longevity. What's being described here is the difference between surface-level temporary success that, yes, looks great and flashing, that we are like... We, th that is so tempting for us to prioritize instead of Sabbath rest with the more deep and mature growth and the lasting fruit that's just better and more lasting and sustainable. So even if, the psalmist was kind of saying, like, even if you're, as you're struggling to put down the tools, the phone, the laptop, 
the brain space that you dedicate to work, to conflict, to relationships, you can put it down. It's boring. This is a God who made us in his image and rested and calls us and commands us to rest from whatever slavery and oppression we are experiencing, spiritual, actual, cultural, or otherwise. That's a God worth contemplating on. Rest, trust God to produce the fruit, not to squeeze more fruit out of our work. That's a very specific kind of rest. It's not taking a break. But it's the kind of rest that we thank him for and that is good and satisfying and incredible and amazing and makes us want to rest in him more and to thank him more day and night. That is the Sabbath difference in how we find that rest. So it doesn't look like we have any questions this morning, but I just want to encourage you... um, you know, I, every once in a while, I'll say something along the lines of like, you know how those pastors, when you walk into church, they say, you know, like, leave all of the cares of the world out there. Don't, don't, don't bother with any of that. There's, there's a sense that like, as I normally talk about that, that, that that's, that's dumb because Jesus is not interested in the you that is somehow isolated from all the crud you have to deal with and are stressed out about, that you can actually bring those things here and ask him to take that burden off of your shoulders because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And yet also, where that is right and accurate is that it pales in comparison to the depth and beauty of God. And that if maybe you're struggling to set those things down Stop trying to set them down and put the effort into beholding the beauty and and love and grace of God. And I think it'll be easier to set those things down instead of trying to do it on your own strength. Let God's hospitality create the space and give you the strength to do so. What is better than talking about Sabbath as tasting and seeing that God is good by experiencing and appreciating his hospitality, what's being able to use that as a lead-in for communion. (laughs) Because when Jesus said that he is Lord of the Sabbath, he is describing something authoritative in that. Like he is saying that I am the one for whom Sabbath was, was commanded as an act of worship. That he's actually, there's an implicit divinity claim there. But he's also saying that to be Lord of rest means that he is the divine host that has created the space, that has done the work, whose mercy, whose justice, whose grace has actually set the table such that we can feast and taste that he's good and put everything else down. It was in that context that on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread with his disciples and he broke it. He says, this is my body. It is broken for you. As back-breaking as your work is, my work restores you. Likewise, he took the wine and he poured it out. And he says, this wine is the blood of the new covenant. It is given for the remission of sins. It's given 
in order to effectuate and to make you holy, to make you set apart among everything else in creation, you are the greatest gift I could give to myself. I want nothing more than you. He says, as often as you eat that bread and you drink that, this wine, or juice, we have juice now in the, the, the red-tinged cups, as often as you do so, you proclaim my death until I come. You, you also proclaim the rest and peace we have in God because of his death, because he accomplished it and set the table. So this is his table, not Brad's table, not the table's table. It's not a Presbyterian table. It's not any other table except Jesus's. And so if you long for that rest, come take and eat. Let's pray. Jesus, our striving knows no bounds except and until it encounters our finitude, our humanness. And yet, Lord, we still have managed to spin that and twist that and, and to beat ourselves up with I'm not doing enough or I am not enough. And Lord, your, your supper proclaims how absolutely wrong, foolish, and yes, stupid that is. Because it was never about us doing or being enough. It was about you declaring that you are sufficient for us to be loved. So Lord, I pray that that reality helps us to put down whatever it is we're carrying nourish our souls and our bodies, yes, so that we can step back into work next week, but before we even think about that, to, Lord, give you thanks, to give you praise for this table that you have set with your steadfast love and faithfulness. That is your name, after all. And so it is in your name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>